Greetings, greetings. Good to see each of you this morning. Some new faces out there. It's good to be together in God's house to worship. I think he must be up there smiling on this group of people. Can't you envision that? Can't you envision him sitting on his throne, looking down upon us and pouring out his attention and his love to us? How do you picture him when, when you pray? Do you picture him sitting there with his head bowed on your behalf? Do you picture him giving attentiveness to you? How can he do that? But he does to every one of us. The message this morning is entitled, We're Going Into Eternity. We've talked a lot about living the Christian life this week. But we're going into eternity. Eternity is clearly taught in the scripture. We have words like everlasting life, eternal life, eternal glory, eternal salvation, eternal damnation. And even within us as a person without the Bible, there's awareness that there's a responsibility to a higher being and that there's something beyond this life. I really don't know a religion that doesn't have something to say about eternity. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, eternity is written in your heart. So there's questions that people ask, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? We don't know a lot about eternity. But there's a point that time started, and there's a point when time will end. Time and eternity will meet. There'll be no more time. We just can't wrap our head around that. But there's going to be an eternity as a reality. The Bible speaks about the shortness of life. Some of us maybe have thought it's pretty long. But in light of eternity, it's short. In light of eternity, we just have a puny little time on a timeline that's endless. James chapter 4 says, what is your life? It says, even of a vapor. Doesn't mean it's worthless. It just means that it's short. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16, where it speaks about eternity. It speaks about a man who went into eternity and enjoyed being in Abraham's presence. He didn't have a lot here in this life, but when he got there, he was satisfied. There's another man in this account that had everything he could want here in this life, and it doesn't say it was wrong for him to have what he had, but he missed something. He didn't live for God. 
He didn't have God as a part of his life. And so he went into eternity. And we read in this scripture that he became the beggar. Begging for mercy. As we read this, think about this question. Why is there eternity? Why isn't it just this life and then it's over? Why is it that we have the promise of a better life? Let's read Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple, fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. Now that's what it says about him. It doesn't say that any of those things were wrong. It doesn't say that he was a great big sinner. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate. Gives the idea that he was carried there. That he was unable to go himself. They didn't have places like old people's homes, apparently, or a place that he could have lived permanently in his sad state. And so he was laid at the gate of this rich man in hopes of being fed and his needs met from the funds of this rich man. It says he was full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The scripture is clear that God created the world in perfection. He made it all and said it was good, and he made you and me and said we were very good. But we know that sin came into the world, and when sin came into the world, we all were affected. Yeah, you can blame Adam and Eve all you want, but if they wouldn't have done it, we would have done it. 
The reality is that all of us have a nature that's bent toward ourself. And every one of us realizes that we're going to struggle with that until the day we die. And we're going to have to ask the question, am I going to let God help me through life? And am I going to let him be my guide and my source of strength? Or am I going to continue to let Satan have his way in my life? The Bible says that not only was humanity affected by the sin, but that our universe was affected by the sin. In other words, it says that the creation was cursed. Now, if you like science... You can study about how the universe is running down. And scientists say someday this earth is not going to be able to survive. Huh, does that sound familiar to you as Bible students? Yeah, the Bible says someday this earth is going to burn up. It's going to be no more. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I don't understand all of that. I don't need to understand all that. That's God's part. But I do understand clearly what I must do to be involved in eternity with him. I understand clearly what it means when he says that we need a new body. We need something that isn't going to ache and something that isn't going to be tempted like this and something that's going to be free from the rigors of this life. I understand that and I look forward to that. Eternity is given to us because this life has been a curse. And the universe has been cursed. But the promise is he's going to redeem us and bring us back into a place of perfection again. The Bible speaks about Jesus and his resurrection and how that he had a new body. He could walk through walls, remember? He could show up at one place and then he'd show up at another place without all the energy to get there. He had a body that was changed from flesh and blood to a body that could live in the glories of heaven. And when Jesus gets there, when we get there and see Jesus, there's going to be a likeness between us and him. Now, the thing that puzzles me sometimes is, what does God the Father look like on his throne? And what does Jesus look like sitting at his right hand? I don't need to know all that. We know the spirit realm is beyond us. We know there's a reality of it. But we know that when Jesus came here, he took on the form of a body... And then he was transformed in that body and went back to heaven in that state. Don't let your mind go too wild with that one. <laughs> Don't let that confuse you. But the idea is that there is going to be a different appearance and a different way of life, and I'm ready for it. Whether you are 10 years old, or whether you are 15 years old, or whether you are 85 years old, 
You realize that there's eternity ahead, and it's because we need to be changed. The curse that's been put upon us needs to be dealt with. Jesus came, and he came to give us life, and he came to give us life abundantly, and he said he's taking us to a place that's going to be eternal. Time will have intersected with eternity. Now, this picture in Luke chapter 16 is of eternal life. Lazarus may have been a well-to-do man at one time. I don't know. But he got sores. And he was not able to function. They had to lay him at the gate. And he had to beg. And the dogs came and licked his sores. That was here in this life. I can see why he wanted eternal life. I can see why he wanted out. The rich man, he didn't have the perspective that there could be anything better. Brothers and sisters, never lose the perspective that there's something better. Never forget to have some time to think about eternity. We need to live on this earth. And the Bible says we need to watch, and we need to wait, and we need to work. Go to Thessalonians and you read all about that. Watch, wait, and work. I was preaching through Thessalonians, and I was running out of sermon titles because it was all about, every chapter was about eternity, about coming back. I said to my wife one Sunday, it was about the last chapter of First Thessalonians, and I'm just running out of a title. It's always about eternity. And she says, well, what's it about? And I said, well, it's about working and watching and waiting. And she said, well, title it www.com. So when I see www.com, sometimes I think about that. Wait, work, watch. That's what we're to do, right? Because there's eternity. Think about it. Don't forget. And my wife doesn't usually make the titles for me. But that thought has to be a part of our, a part of our life, thinking about eternity. We need to be involved here until that time. Well, let's think about what Lazarus saw. When he went to heaven, what does your mind go to? Does it go to a place of splendor and beauty? Mine does. Well, how do you get that? Where do you get that idea? Well, you've probably read Revelation. You've probably read about the foundations and the walls and the gates and all the different stones that are in there and how the heaven is 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles high. Yeah, that's what it says there. 
heaven. It says it in cubits, but you take cubits. What's a cubit? From your fingertip to your elbow, 18 inches, so approximately. Okay, figure it out. 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. But remember, the gates are open. So we may not be just confined to, to that place. But there is the throne of God, and there is the beauty of his radiance. When I get there, I'm going to go up to the throne, and I'm going to see Jesus. And I'm going to fall before his face and say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, the streets of gold are fine. All that's okay. The mansions that he talks about in John 14, that's all fine. But I want to see Jesus. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to look in his face? Do you want to hear him talk to you? Lazarus must have experienced that. To be there is a place of honor. And the scripture speaks about that. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. We don't deserve it, but we've accepted. And he said, you've been adopted into the family, and you can come in. And he says in scripture, you can be a joint heir with me. Did you ever get an inheritance? Are you looking for an inheritance from someone here on earth? Do you have to share that inheritance with someone else? It's okay. It's okay to be a joint heir. When you get to heaven and you're a joint heir with Jesus, you got all that he does. Is that okay? See, that's the picture Lazarus is there, and he's, he's there at the place that Abram, a righteous man, was, a friend of God. He's in a place of honor. The Bible says it's a place of worship. You think the singing was good here this morning, and it was. Wait till we get there. Wait till we get there. Wait till these throats are just really clear, until they're angelic. Until everything is just pure and, and, and bright. No corruption. It's a place where we can eat of the tree of life. Well, where did you last hear of the tree of life? I heard of it back in the Garden of Eden, right? But when sin came, they had to be taken out of the Garden of Eden. Because if they would have eaten of the tree of life, they would have been damned forever. Now the tree of life is pointed out in Revelation in heaven. And we get there and we can eat of that. And that's a tree that gives us eternal life. It's involved in this idea of things are going to be permanent. Tears are going to be gone. Death is going to be over. That's the picture that the scripture gives us of heaven, a place where we will rejoice. Lazarus was enjoying heaven in our text. The rich man was there, and it says he was in hell. Now that's a picture that's different than heaven. 
The picture is of continual fire. I'm from New York State. In September 11th, 2001, the largest buildings in New York City were intentionally hit by airplanes. Some of you are too young to remember it. Some of the rest of us know exactly where we were when we got that news. Planes hit those towers, and immediately there were fireballs. At 1,100 feet up and 1,300 feet up, immediately there were people's lives that were sent into eternity. And as that fireball increased, it was noted that people were jumping out of the towers. Jumping out because of the dust, the heat, the fire, the oppression, falling to certain death, but it gave them 10 seconds longer. Falling at speeds of 100 or so mile per hour, falling to their death. And it's estimated that between one and 200 people jumped out of those towers that day. Well, can you blame them? Can you, when you look at the pictures of those buildings and the fireball that was there, you can't blame them. It was sure death anyway. Here's 10 seconds longer, which they didn't take time to calculate. We can't imagine. Many people try to envision hell. We can't fully. But as the scripture describes it, it's a place of insanity. It's a place where people are going wild because they cannot get away from the continual fire that's there. It's described as a place of darkness, outer darkness, which we can't understand how with fire there's light and with darkness. But it's a closed-inness. In this description here, there's immediate regret by this man that he finds himself there. There's desperation. Hell was no joke. People make fun of the idea of a hell. But it's a place just as sure as heaven is a place. And I get to some community funerals, and I hear some preachers get up at these community funerals and preach everybody into heaven. And then I may be asked to get up and say something second and almost have to undo what they just said. And I'm not the judge. So I can't say whether this person is in hell or not. But we can plead with the people who are there that they get right with God now, that today is the day of salvation. There's a funeral home that we've had funerals in. And interestingly, 
It's in town at the corner of Broadway and Paradise Street. Turberville, Pennsylvania. Paradise Street and Broadway. The funeral home is there. I've stood in there many times and thought about the interesting, I don't know if it was intentional that they put it there, but the person that's laying in the casket doesn't have a choice anymore. But we're there to preach to those who do have a choice that they have to decide, are they going to go the Broadway, which is the way of the world? Are they going to go the way that's to paradise? There's separation here in this account. Physical separation, he couldn't get over to Lazarus. There's separation from the mercy of God. Immediately after this man's death, this rich man's death, he recognized that there was a hell. Immediately after, he realized he was away from the mercy of God. He also realized that it wasn't anybody's fault but his own. Everyone has a choice for eternity. He said, no, I don't need God in my life. The person who doesn't repent of their sins still woes for them. And God is not unjust to send one to hell. They have chosen to go to hell. It's not just a chance. They have chosen to go to hell. God never intended anyone to go there. He made it for the devil and his angels. But the person who doesn't repent of their sins still owes for them, and he still needs to bear that punishment. There's a lot of places I'd enjoy traveling, but hell is not one of those. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. I'm a Christian because I know there's a God. I'm a Christian because I know he's given a path to live that is abundant. But I also know there's a destiny at the end. If we believe there's a hell, we must stay out of it. If you believe there's a jail, you do everything to stay out of it. If you believe you can be hurt in a car accident, you do what you can to avoid accidents. If you believe you can get addicted to something bad, you stay clear from it. So how should we then live? I'd like to turn in the Bible to Ezekiel chapter 33. I'd like to start reading at verse 7. Ezekiel chapter 33. Just meditate on what it's saying here as we read. And the choice that's ours, how we live. Ezekiel 33, verse 7. So thou, O son of man, 
I've set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. And I view that, brothers and sisters, as my responsibility this week to be a mouthpiece. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way, to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgressions. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge and give again that he had robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. Yet the children of thy people say, the way of the Lord is not equal, but as for them, their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Yet ye say, the way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge you, every one, in his ways. That was a text that a man gave to be preached at his funeral. He was a logger. He was a kind Christian man. I knew him. He told me one time, Dale, I haven't forgotten to pray for you one day in the last 11 years. It meant a lot to me. I said, I don't know when your prayers need to be dumped out on my life, but as Revelation says, the prayers of the saints are gathered up as in bowls to be dumped out when they're needed. But after I get done preaching his funeral sermon, there was another minister here as well. And that minister got up, and he had been instructed, this man had planned his own funeral, 
he was instructed to read a letter to each of the children in that family. He publicly read the letter that, is, that, the, that this man wrote to each of his children. Some of them were words of caution. This is public. The house was packed. His words to them, get right with God. For those that were living for the Lord, he wrote notes of encouragement to them. This minister was instructed to read what was on those notes. And it seemed a little uneasy at times, but it wasn't really out of place. Because this man wanted as his legacy, his children to know there is a God and there is an eternity. He wanted them to know from this text, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked and that God will clean up the wicked and he will give them a place with him. It was an unusual place to go for a funeral text, but it made more and more sense as I studied and prepared for that message. How should we then live? Jesus knocks on our door. And some of those children, I believe, had the Spirit of God knocking on their door. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, as my title, we're going into eternity. And I got that title from a book where a man and his family were going to Costa Rica. They had a busload of goods coming from the states to go to the mission field. Four busloads, actually, of goods were being taken there. And somewhere in Honduras, his brakes gave out on this bus. Three buses were ahead of him. The fourth bus was his. And he radioed to the others and said, my brakes are out. And they pulled off, and he went wildly by them. He went around a few curves, but soon lost control and went out over a ravine. And as he was going out over the ravine with his family in the back, grown children, his last words were, we're going into eternity. It's kind of precious to think about his realization at that point that there is an end to time and there's a beginning of eternity. So this morning, is your name in the book of life? The Lord's going to come. He's going to come back. You know, we have in the Old Testament over 300 prophecies that Jesus would come the first time. In the New Testament, we have over 300 references to the second coming of Christ. We can't say we're not warned. There's eternity ahead. Watch. We know neither the day nor the hour. He's going to come. Someday, he's coming back for you and for me, either by death or when he says it's an end to this earth as we know it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be your children. It's a choice that we make. 
Heaven is not by chance. It's by choice. And you've invited each of us to be there. Help us to remember the importance of life today, but also remember what is ahead. In Jesus' name.